My name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and welcome to week two of Address the Mess. So glad that you're here. I would encourage you guys, uh, all throughout this five-part series, um, uh, that I would encourage you guys, if you have a big mess that you've ever done, or maybe your family did, or something like that, I would encourage you to be able to go on social media, on Instagram, or on Facebook, and put that up there, and actually put the hashtag Address the Mess. We would love to kind of be able to share a lot of the messes that we've made uh, over uh, the past few years. In fact, I'm going to be sharing about one today uh, that our family uh, made a mess of. And uh, sometimes it's fun. It's, n- it's never fun in the middle of it, right? But, you know, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few decades after, we can all laugh about it. So, uh, again, so glad that you're here. I'd also encourage you guys um, that if you want to interact with today's message, uh, you're welcome to actually text any question to the number on the screen that's behind me. If you have a prayer need or if you just want to kind of ask uh, and interact with this question and kind of have this conversation and not be one way, we would love to be able to talk with you more about this. So we talked about last week and this whole, the very first part of this whole idea of address the mess, that whenever you saw a messy person, that whenever we were tempted to be critical or be judgmental of somebody else's mess, I asked you to kind of say these few words. In fact, these are going to be up on the screen. And let's all say this together, can we? I know a mess when I see one because I am one. Let's say it one more time. I know a mess when I see one. Very good. I am's what I am's, right? In the words of Popeye. So you may not be a, a religious person. You not be. A, you may not be a church person. You not, might even be a Bible person. But I, one thing that all of us have in common, that all of us can agree on, is that all of us, we've been a mess. That in our past, we've been a mess. Maybe you're not in a mess now, but you're just one dumb decision away from making a mess of your life. Or somebody else is going to make one dumb decision away that's going to roll downhill and you are going to be addressing the mess. And as we said last week, that any time that we don't kind of measure up and we like we, we mess up and we kind of rurally just kind of flub it up, that all of us, we have this tendency to say a, a sentence. And we usually smile when we say it. It's just like, hey, nobody's what? Perfect. Exactly right. Nobody's perfect. And what we talked about last week is when we say nobody's perfect, we're actually confessing something that's way bigger than just no one is perfect. We're actually confessing that there's actually an avenue to discovering God that we actually are confessing this, that there is a perfect that nobody is. That when we say nobody's perfect, we're saying that there is a standard to which You do not measure up, and I do not measure up. There's a standard outside of me that I did not create, because if I created, I would just like totally put it under the rug, that I consistently fall short of. There's a standard that I recognize that I'm accountable to, and I don't quite measure up, that there is a perfect that nobody is. and there, there's, I, I love that because all of us, again, we may not have anything else in common, but we can say this, that none of us are perfect. And we looked at last week that there is a standard. And then this whole idea of this post-Christian society where there's no absolutes and there's no right or wrongs, and we can vote some and say, yeah, it's okay or it's not okay, that there is a standard that will not and does not change. And we simply said this last week. When we acknowledge our mess, we are just baby steps away from acknowledging God. That when you and I acknowledge that you and I do not measure up, that we're just this far away from beginning 
a relationship with God. Now, again, uh, as we kind of kind of share with you, I'm going to share with you some of our mess, and uh, this is a, a mess that our family got itself into back in the '80s. How many of y'all you were around in the '80s? All right, the rest of y'all, whatever. Anyway, but uh, I am an, I am a child of the '70s, and uh, I am proud of it. I mean, in the '70s, there was no safety, right? There was no bike helmets. If you were wearing a helmet, you were something special. Right? Um, uh, there was no, um, what do you call it, uh, seat belts in cars. Like, the seat belt was when your mom reached over and clotheslined you, right? I mean, that was the, I mean, there, it was amazing, and yet we still lived. Um, and some of us without Dane Blamage. But um, I remember my dad. My dad uh, and, and my mom, my grandmother, his mother, uh, they actually had some grapes. Uh, and they had this kind of small vineyard type of thing, and they would grow grapes. And my dad loved making homemade wine. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I don't like the way alcohol tastes. And everybody says, well, you've not tasted the right ones. And I've tried it, and I still haven't tasted anything that I would ever enjoy. But my dad made this homemade wine that I really did like. Um, and uh, he, uh, you know, he uh, fed it to me when I was six, seven years old. Nothing. Le- hey, it's Tennessee, right? I mean, that stuff's legal. Just saying. So um, some of you are like, I think that is incorrect. Um, but uh, anyway, so my dad, he would make this homemade wine. And of course, I don't know if you've, if you've never ever made uh, homemade liquor. Let me rephrase that. If you're not from Tennessee, um, uh, let me kind of explain the whole process. Is you would cook the grapes and heat the juice and add some sugar and add some yeast. And then you would let it set and you would pour it into usually a ball jar. And, uh, and that's what my dad used to do. And then you would screw the lid on tight, and it would, you would put it underneath the porch, and it would ferment for like months, maybe sometimes years. And then you would open it up, and voila, you would have uh, some Tennessee wine, right? So, but one year, I'll never forget, my dad ran out of ball jars. He ran out of these jars, and he says, you know what? I got all this great grape juice that will one day become wine, so I got a great idea. I'm going to take a two-liter bottle. And um, now it sounded like a good idea at the time. I'm going to go and warn you, it was not. But um, so he took this two liter bottle and he filled it up uh, with this fermented grape juice, and he he screwed the top back on. And he had took this Coke bottle, and and in fact, there's a picture behind me. You know how the Coke bottle uh, it kind of cones up at the top, right? Well, it kind of sat there for a few years, and then until one Christmas Eve, everybody say Christmas Eve. Now, how many of y'all have ever been to my mama's house? I mean, you know that she decorates for everything, right? She decorates for Christmas. She decorates for Valentine's. She decorates for St. Patrick's Day. She decorates for Canadian Boxer Day. I don't even know what that is. But she decorates for it. So she has decorated the houses all decked out for Christmas, right? And my uncle, my dad's brother, shows up, and my dad has this great idea. I'm going to go downstairs, and I'm going to get some homemade wine. So we went down there, and all the ball jars were gone. They drank it all, and the only thing that was left was this two-liter uh, this two-liter bottle with this wine in it. And he looked at it, and it was kind of weird because the, the, the two-liter bottle was only half full. And he had known he had filled it up, but it was just kind of half full. But the top, where it kind of concaved in, it just coned up. There was no concave at all. It was just one big bottle that looked like it was getting ready to bust. Again, my dad didn't think anything about it. 
So he brought it upstairs, and he got out the wine glasses, right? And again, I mean, I mean, Christmas decorations everywhere. He, he takes the two-liter bottle, and he barely touches the top to unscrew it, and boom! Wine goes everywhere. This sticky, stringy, sugary mess is all over the kitchen. It has exploded. There is sticky, sugary strings hanging from the ceiling. There is stricky, uh, st- sticky, stringy, stringy, sugary wine mess hanging from the, the kitchen cabinets. It has exploded into the living room. It got on the carpet. It got on the ceiling in there. It actually exploded down the, uh, the hallway. The Christmas tree in the living room, it looks like this sugary, sticky, wonderful mess is hanging from all of the limbs. And my mom, <laughs> and my dad, oh my gosh, if you could have been there, you would have been in the corner sucking your thumb like I was. Because it was, now, now here's the thing, we laugh about that now. My parents are right over here, we laugh about that now. There was no laughing at the time, right? There was no laughing. And, and let me say this, my dad has never ever made homemade wine ever since. So he has learned his lesson. You know what? The only thing, they had two options, okay? You're either going to clean it up or you're going to sell the house, right? And I think at that point, they were like, maybe we should sell this puppy. I'm not sure. But they actually got in a, a called in a, some guys, and they came in, and they cleaned up the mess. Now, remember that. Remember that. Because all of us, I want to talk today to all of us who that story I just kind of shared is kind of the story of your life right now. That there's a group that sort that's your picture of your personal life that you made a mess of something that it's so big you don't even know where or how to get out and you're wondering can it ever be cleaned up? It may be in your finances. You have messed up your finances so royally your credit score is at a negative. And it's like I don't even know how to get out of this debt. It may be something going on in a relationship. You had a friendship or you had a, a relationship with a, a spouse or with a parent that used to be so good but now is so rotten. It may be your academic life. I mean, you, had a, you have a negative 4.0. I mean, it's bad. Your professional life. You may getting ready to get fired or maybe you've gotten fired. Some of you, it's your marriage that you're on your first marriage that's getting ready to turn into your second marriage. Because you've messed stuff up so very much, something going on with your parents, so maybe you got in trouble with the law, but right now you would say, you know what, I am so deep into it. I've messed it up so much, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know if it can ever really be cleaned up. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know if I can fix this. I don't even know if I can get out of this all by myself. And this is a mess. If you and I are real honest, if I could sit down with you -you, one-on-one, it's your fault. And you would say, it's my fault. You ignored somebody's advice. You ignored your conscience. You ignored your parents. You ignored your best friend. You ignored God. You ignored the people telling you the truth. You even ignored kind of yourself and what you were telling you because there was something in you that said, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't date him. You shouldn't say yes to this. You shouldn't go there. And yet you did it anyway, and you're in a huge mess, and it's your fault. That's who I want to talk to today. Because all of us, we have got a messy part of our life, and you're wondering, now what am I going to do? Now here's what we said last week, and this is so very important. We said last week that it's the mess that brings us together. 
Because all of us, we have these messy parts of our life, and we've been so very messy, we're going to be messy again, that the mess that brings us together is the mess that brought God near. The mess that brings us together brought God near. And that your mess, that the mess that you're into right now has the potential, hear me, to bring God ever so near in your life. That you can discover God in your life in a way that you could have never ever discovered Him ever before because of your mess. The, fo- the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. In fact, some of us who are watching the game tonight, you're going to see people with John 3.16 banners. You're going to see people painted John 3.16 on their face or all this stuff. And I just want to throw this on the uh, screen behind me because this is the most popular verse. It simply says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Excuse me, sorry. For God so what? Loved. The most popular verse, and I don't even know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is the most popular verse, right? For God so loved the world, for God so loved the messes in the world, for God so loved this messy world that he drew near through the world. Now, that's great, and that's a great verse, but... The next verse after that, the one that I was actually quoting just a few minutes ago, we're going to discover the verse after John 3.16 that gets no play, nobody writes this on their face, nobody holds up banners, is such an amazing verse because this is the verse that some of you need to hear today as you figure out how to get out of your mess. And it's simply this, John 3.17, 4, because it keeps on going. For God did not send his Son into the world to what? Let's say that word again, to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to condemn. Now this is huge depending upon what type of denomination or what type of church background you came from, what kind of family you were raised in, because you kind of thought of God and Jesus as somebody who was doing this, who was always condemning. But this verse says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save or rescue or deliver the world. How? Through Him. You see, Jesus did not come into the world to get all up in our faces of all the messy people and say, do you realize what a mess you've made? Do you realize what a mess you've made of your marriage? Do you realize what a mess you made of your finances? Do you realize how jacked up you got your kids? Do you realize how much... Jesus did not come to do any of that. God through Jesus, came into this world to enter into the lives of messy people to rescue them from their mess. Which means to rescue us from ourselves because all of us are a bunch of hot messes. When we read the Gospels, you will, you will see and you will discover that this most intimate, passionate, personal ways imaginable that Jesus entered into people's messes. That Jesus was not afraid to get it messy with people. That's very important because the last week of this, we're going to talk about that if you're bored in your Christian life, I'm just going to go ahead and say this because I'm working on it now. If you're bored in your Christian life, it's because you've gotten comfortable and you're not involving yourself in the mess. So, if you think about this, let's look at four different avenues, four different stories that Jesus kind of entered into the messiness of people's lives. The first one, It's found in John chapter 8. 
And the Pharisees, they actually capture, they catch this woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, this woman has really, really messed up her life. She's messed up her marriage. She's messed up somebody else's marriage. She has destroyed her reputation because now everybody in this small community knows what she's done. And after a conversation of her accusers, Jesus stands up and he says to this condemned woman, this woman who has totally messed up her life, he says this, look at me. Look at me. I do not, and here's the word, what word we just looked at, I do not condemn you. In other words, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And then he says, look at me. Jesus says, leave your life of sin. One day, Jesus is walking along with this crowd, and he looks up, and he sees this crooked tax collector in a tree. And he, he's like, wow, I've never seen that. Um, and you see Zacchaeus, yes, he's short, and yes, that's probably one of the reasons why he got up in the tree, because he couldn't see over the heads of people, but he also probably got up in the tree to not get shanked by people who hated him so much. Because even though the Bible doesn't say it, he probably had some bodyguards around, because this guy, he was hated by everyone. He had taken a job as a tax collector, and that was the biggest mistake he could ever make. And then he began to overcharge people for their taxes, and he had enriched himself on the backs of hardworking people in his own community. He was despised. He was hated. There was no way forward, and there was no way out. But he wanted to see Jesus. So Jesus stops walking along, and he looks up at this hot mess up in a tree, and he simply says this, Come down to me. Come close to me. Because we're going to go to your house. Come down to me. We're going to your house today, you messy little man. Behind closed doors, Jesus looks at this mess of a man named Zacchaeus, and he says, Listen, I want you to leave your life of sin. It's going to take more than just praying out of this one. You're going to have to pay back those people whom you stole to make this right. The New Testament tells us that Zacchaeus, his life drastically changed. And even though no one liked him and no one trusted him, he entered the community and, and people, he started clawing his way back and he became a member, a good standing member of that community because of what he did, because of what Jesus did when he said, come down to me. One day Jesus was in the area of Samaritan. He was in Samaria and the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. And in John chapter 4, he shows up at noon at this well, and his disciples have went into town to get some food, and he meets this woman who's at the well. Now, this, it's hot. For some of you who have been in the Middle East, you know what I'm talking about. There is not a hot like you experience over there in the Middle East. And nobody goes to get water at noon because it's the hottest of the day, but this woman chose to. Why? Because everybody hated her. Everybody despised this woman. This woman had been divorced five times. That's a lot in today. It was crazy a lot back in those days. And the, the guy that she was hanging out with, that she had moved into, that she was shacking up with, wasn't her husband. In the middle of the day, when nobody was out, 
she meets a guy by the name of Jesus. This Evidently, he's a Jewish rabbi. And she realizes, game over. He is going to condemn me. He's not even going to talk to me. He may pick up a rock and throw it at me. And Jesus doesn't do any of those expected things. He does something unexpected. Jesus says to the woman, Come close to me, and I will quench your thirst. The thirst that you've been trying to quench through relationships and sex your entire life. And then at the end of his life, Jesus has this interchange with another man, mess of a man, a man who had messed up his life so royally and so thoroughly and so completely that he had not only been arrested, but he was not even trusted to serve out that that sentence. He was condemned to die. His only example was to prove to be an example of what not to do with your life. And there, as he's hanging on the cross, next to the Son of God, who is also dying, Jesus says to this mess of a man, You are coming with me. Today, you will be with me, where? In paradise. Now, the amazing thing, and the thing I don't want you to miss through all four of those stories, is that no, no matter how messy your life is, and no matter how deep the mess is, and how much of it it's your fault, and the fact that you told another lie to get out of a lie, of a lie that you told, so that you, nobody will think that you're a liar, but actually that's exactly what people think. You've dug your hole so deep. Regardless of your mess, here's what Jesus offered all of those messy people. And it's the same thing that Jesus offers you. This is the way out. This is the way out of your mess. This This is the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus offered? Himself. He offered them himself as the solution. And as Jesus continued to go throughout his earthly ministry, this is why it's so important that the clearest picture of your heavenly Father is Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks, the only thing you have to do is read what Jesus says. And if you want to know how God responds, then watch how Jesus responds. Jesus is as close to understanding God as you and I will ever get. In fact, immediately following the whole John 8 and the woman who's caught in adultery, the woman who's been dragged in front of the Temple Mount, and everybody's wanting to condemn her, and Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Jesus says these words in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again, to the people, he said, I am the, what does it say? Let's all say it. I am the light of the world. And I can and I will show you the way forward and I will show you the way out. That's what it means to be a light. To be a light in a dark room means I will show you the way forward and I will show you the way out. And when you've heard this whole thing that Jesus is the light, it's kind of a Christmas thing and we kind of go great and, you know, whole lights and all that stuff. But it's so much more than that. It simply means, if you're in a dark place, you need a light. If you're in a messy place, you need to know your way out. And as you watch Jesus navigate his way in and out of the lives of messy people in the New Testament, you can be rest assured of this, that your Heavenly Father, through Jesus, has invited you to follow Jesus, even though your life is still a mess. Jesus did not pull back from messy people in this world. He did the exact opposite. He says this, Whoever follows me, whoever follows me, I love that. 
that I am the light of the world, whoever follows me. I want you to think about this, and let's just be honest, right? Think about the biggest mess you ever did. You got it in your head? The biggest mess you ever made. Isn't it true that you were not following Jesus when you made such a hot mess of your life? Isn't it true that you said no to your conscience, you ignored wise advice, you grew up in the church, you ignored what you knew was right, you ignored what the Sunday school teacher and the Sunday school answers were, in fact, you talked yourself into, I mean, how jacked up is that? You actually talked yourself into of doing something that was wrong, and it was the worst decision you ever made, and you knew you were doing wrong the time that you made it, and you did it anyway, and now... It's a mess. And Jesus says this, if you follow me, which means if you weren't following Jesus into your mess, maybe you, since you weren't following Jesus into your mess, you need to start following him to get out of your mess. You may not have been a Christian. You may not have even believed in God. You may not have been a theist. But Jesus says, you can follow me out because I am the light of the world and I know the way The only way to get out of your dark place is to follow someone who's got more light than you do. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm going to keep on reading. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, I know what you want. We all want, when we think we're in a mess, we want a magic button to get us out. We want AAA, right? It's kind of like what happened when my folks and the wine blew up. That's when you call somebody and, will you come and fix this, right? Will you come in here now? And, of course, they couldn't get anybody on Christmas Eve to fix it. But soon after Christmas Day, people came in and they resurfaced and they redid the walls. They redid the ceilings. They pulled up carpet. They did all of that. And, yeah, you were inconvenienced, but our tendency is when you and I get in a mess, we want to call somebody and come and fix it immediately. To say, you know what, and next time I, uh, something bad happens, I'll call you again. And that's how we want our relationship with God to be. We kind of treat him, treat him like AAA or like an insurance agent. Okay, I'll, next time, thanks for cleaning up my mess. I'll talk to you in about six years when I get into another mess. Click. But here's what you need to understand this. Your heavenly Father loves you. Way too much to do it that way because his goal for you is not to simply fix the mess that you've made. It's much bigger and much broader than that. He's a heavenly father. We just sang about it. He is a good, good father, which means every good father wants a relationship with their children. What's more important to a good father is not just behavior. It's the relationship. I would rather have kids who maybe weren't perfect, who love me, than to have a kid who was who perfect in every way, but ha- would have nothing to do with me. That thing that expresses itself in me as an earthly father is reflected in the heart of our heavenly father, that yes, your behavior is important, but it's not the most important thing. What's most important to your heavenly father is a personal, intimate relationship with him through the person that made that relationship possible, and that is Jesus Christ. That when I get into a mess, I want to fix it. I want to make a call. I want to call AAA. I want to call the insurance. I want somebody to clean up my mess, shake my hand, and go, you know what? I'll be available next time you get yourself into this tight spot. But your Heavenly Father says, no. I want so much more for you than that. 
I want a relationship. I want you to, here's the two words, follow me. I want you to follow me. Everybody say that. I want you to follow me. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, basically, it's what we talk about all the time around here. It's what we talk about with our kids right now in their community groups, that they're in their small groups. It's what we talk about in our, in our, in our small group process. It's what we talk about our next steps table. It's a process. It's a relationship. But when Jesus says, follow me, for sure he was simply saying this. He was saying and referring and pointing to what he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he simply said, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, he could have said, we'll end up like a mess. He says like this. He is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Following Jesus begins with this declaration, which requires a lot of humility. Following Jesus begins with this declaration. God, I have built my house on sand, and I am reaping what I've sown. I am getting the consequences of my bad choices. I built my finances. I built my home life. I built my career. I built my dating relationships. I built my academic pursuits about what I want. What I thought was going to be good. And I'm tempted. Man, I'm tempted to just keep on doing that. But I realize it's not working. It's not working. And yet, I have this tendency to treat you like AAA or an insurance. Will you come and fix this? But God, you want so much more to me than that. Just to come and fix my mess. Because we've all seen parents who come behind kids and fix message. And what happens when the parents fix the kid's message? The, the kid just keeps on making more messes. Following Jesus is agreeing with Jesus when he also said this as well. Verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Every single person decides ahead of time, God, Jesus, whatever you say, I have already pre-decided I'm going to do it. That if you say to do this, you, you say to end this relationship with him, you say, that, you know what, I need to get my finances, I need to start honoring you, whatever you say, what, how, whatever extreme it looks like, I'm going to do it. Because I'm not just going to follow with words, I'm going to follow with actions. You show me what to do and I will do it. I'm not just going to sit back and just consider things. I'm not going to look for just advice anymore. I am surrendering my life. I am surrendering my decision process over to you. The answer is yes to whatever the question. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And here's the thing that you and I miss in this verse. Here's the thing that there is no shut, uh, shortcut for. It's the word built. Everybody say the word built. Built. Built is a process. This is not an overnight fix. You're adults. You know this. The messes that you've made, there are no quick fixes for it. We want a quick fix, don't we? But if there was a quick fix, we would be right back in the same problem next week. Your Heavenly Father is a good, good Father, and He wants something for you more than just simple fixing your messes. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you how to get out, but I'm going to tell you how to follow the light of the world out. I want you to begin building those areas in your life around my teaching. Whether it's 
how you deal with your money, how you treat other people, what your focus and goals and priorities are. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came down and the streams rose. How many of y'all remember this, this song growing up in church? Some of us, maybe just me. All right. And the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its, let's all say it, foundation on the rock. So here's our big idea today. Here's our bottom line for today. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want us to treat God and Jesus like AAA and an insurance agent. It simply says this. You can't pray your way out of a mess that you've behaved yourself into. You cannot pray your way out of a mess that you have behaved yourself into. You cannot pray your way or confess your way out of a mess that it's taken time and a lot of bad decisions to get yourself into. There is no silver bullet. There is no magic prayer. There are no magic words because God cares way too much for us just to make it simple. He cares so much that 2,000 years ago, he's shown a bright light big enough that if you and I choose to follow it, it could have avoided any of our bad decisions, our current mess. It was avoidable, but yet we said no to the light. Your Heavenly Father invites you today to say yes to the light, to follow His Son out. Of, out. Here's a full big idea. You cannot pray your way out of a mess that you've behaved yourself into, but you can follow your way out. That God will meet you in the mess. He is not offended by you. He does not condemn you. He sees your mess as an opportunity to invite him in. We know this, right? Let me tell you, look around the, the, the room right now. You are surrounded by men and women, many of them who regularly come to this church today, and they have been hot messes. But you look at them today, and they're like, man, they look great. They clean up well, and they do. But they didn't always used to be that way because there were times in their life that they realized that they had a need, that they were hot messes. And I tell you, when we look at Matthew, we look at the woman caught in adultery, we look at the Samaritan woman, when you look at the people around you, let me tell you what's evident. In fact, some of you, when I say this, you're going to go, you're going to kind of nod your head. In fact, can, can you nod your head with me right now? Some of you, all right, some of y'all. Uh, if you're not, can you wake that person up next? Some of you, this is what you're going to do with your head. Huh? What happened? So, all right. I, I'd much rather, some of you nod your head some, and I so love that because when I'm up here preaching my heart out, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that. And uh, so whatever you're doing, I just want you to kind of pretend like you're with me. Can you do that? Everybody nod your head. I'm seeing nods. Okay, good, good. In fact, for some of you, I don't know what your church background is. It may have been, you, this, is, this next statement I'm getting ready to say, you may even want to throw an amen in there. At a boy preacher, something like that, right? So here's what here's what I'm going to say because here's what you and I know: you are surrounded by people who who have believed this and have said this at one time or another in their life. It goes something like this: we see this through every baptism story, we see this through every time we we somebody kind of tells their whole baptism, you know, the story right before they get baptized, and simply this: that I messed up, I gave up. I looked up, and then God showed up. Isn't that right? Thank you. Fire. I appreciate you, dude. That I messed up, I gave up. I looked up, 
God showed up. You see, it isn't just preacher talk. You are surrounded by people around you, all around you, that have interfaced and interacted with people. And it's their story every single day. Just every single baptism, every single person who's working with your children right now, every single greeter who's at the door, every single staff person, every single leader, we are all messes who have been redeemed by God through Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do today. We don't do this often, but I feel like we need to do it today. And we're not going to do it right now, so you can just kind of breathe in. Everybody breathe in. Let it out. Because I'm going to ask you to publicly acknowledge that you're a mess. And that you need Jesus. You see, it's not enough just coming and hearing. you got to do something with what you hear. You have to do something with what God is telling us to do today. And I just want us to simply acknowledge, hey, I messed up. Some of you, you know you messed up, but you haven't given up yet. You're still trying to manipulate it. You're still trying to dig your way out. I'm going to ask you guys here in a minute to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to do it now. Let me tell you, people are going to look at you. The good thing about it is we are in a dark movie theater. But let me tell you why this is so very important. Because every time in the Bible, whether it was the woman at the Temple Mount caught in adultery, whether it was Matthew who was the tax collector, Jesus showed up in Matthew and he says, I want you to come and follow me. He had made such a mess out of his life and he did this around all of his friends. Everybody kind of knew it. And Matthew stood up and followed Jesus out. I'm, I'm going to encourage all of us that if you have not said, I have messed up, if you've not given up, if you need to look up you need to know this. God will show up today. And we want to help you through this big decision. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand up. And as people stand up, if anybody stands up, if anybody stand up around you, I want you to stand up with them. I want you to kind of put your hand on their back. Not awkward, not lower back. Let's keep it, okay? I, got, I know i got to say this to people, the one church people, right? You just put their hand on the shoulder. I want you to be praying for them. Because God wants to use you. But the biggest thing you've got to realize before He can use you is that you are a mess. You and I don't measure up. But God wants to show up. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, for those who are here this morning, Lord, they just need to pray, Jesus, I ask you to come. Jesus, come. I am a mess. Lord, I I messed up. Lord, right now, I'm going to stop manipulating my way out, and I'm going to just give it all in your hands. I'm going to give you the wheel. You've got control of my life. God, I'm asking you to show up. Lord, if that's anyone here, I would just ask that right now that they would stand up. Is anyone here today? All right, I see you, sir. See you, sir. See you, ma'am. Good. 
Good. Now I'm asking all of us. Hey, isn't this awesome? I'm going to ask all of us to stand up. And if there's somebody around you stand up, I just want you to kind of reach over to them. And we're going to pray for them. And we're going to pray for us because all of us, we're a mess. I'm going to be right outside the theater. And as we sing and as we're exit, man, if you want to talk about this, we would like to be able to help you through these first steps that you're taking right now. You're not alone in taking this. So I'm going to pray and the band's going to sing. I'm excited. I'm rejoicing for you guys. Because for some of you, you took your first step to a life following the light out of your darkness and out of your mess. God, we love you. For all of us who are here today, Lord, we know that we are messy. And Lord, for so many of us, we try digging our way out, but it's just left us in a bigger hole, a deeper hole, a darker hole. But Lord, we've looked today and we've seen that you are the light of the world and that none of us, we just can't pray our way out of a mess that we have behaved our way into. We have to follow you out. And God, I pray that we would be able to start that today. Start following you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we